Hello, beautiful humans. I am here to pop in before today's episode to let you know there is an Amplify Her Networking Group meeting on September 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I would love, love, love to see you there. Head to AmplifyHerMedia.com backslash networking to register. Your first meeting is free. And the Amplify Her Networking Group is all about creating community and connection and support with women around our careers. Um, we talk making more money. We talk balancing it all. We just talk and we have community and we support each other. So if that sounds right up your alley, join us for our next meeting on September 20th at 1 p.m. Cannot wait to see you there. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh. I just hit something when I was saying that. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, boy, oh, boy. This episode, just thinking about it, has me smiling from ear to ear. I am so thrilled to have had the chance to sit down with Ashley Breland and chat all about boundaries. It was such a gorgeous conversation. It was, you know, she and I were speaking after the um, the interview in our time together. And she was like, I feel like I've known you for like my whole life. Like what is going on? And I was like, I know. <laughs> it was just such a wonderful chance to be able to connect with her. I so admire Ashley's work. I found her online and her work around boundaries and just establishing boundaries and and what that actually means and and how that actually happens I think is just so beautiful. So I'm not going to talk a lot for this intro um, but I will let you know that Ashley is a therapist. She has her own practice. I'm going to link it in the um, in the show notes so you you can you know check her out and she is in um, Canada, in Saskatchewan, or Saskatchewan. I'm so sorry if I butchered that, my Canadian, beautiful Canadian listeners. Um, and <laughs> if you'd like to reach out to her, please feel free. Um, and I just truly think this work that we're doing on ourselves, this unhealing, recognizing the systems around us that are keeping, you know, things in place that we no longer serve us is so, so important and is life-changing. And I just want to say if you're in in this space and, and if you're healing and unlearning, keep going and know that you have so many people cheering you on. Women are incredible. Enjoy this interview with Ashley. Bye. <laughs> Ashley, welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am just so thrilled to be communicating and chatting with you today. So thank you for being here. Thank you for opening up space and allowing me to chat boundaries with your community. I'm really happy yeah. to be here. Oh, let's chat boundaries. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I found you online and I saw a clip of um, another show that you had done where you had been speaking so beautifully about boundaries and I followed you and started to dive into your work and um, I think the work you do around boundaries is so important, but I would love to know 
how did you choose to go into the field of mental health first and foremost? Just like, what was your experience um, going into this career choice? Because it can be an intense career choice. So I'm curious about that before we dive into the, the sure. gritty. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I consider myself a clinical social worker and how I, how social work found me is, is not really a romantic story. <laughs> I completed I a, an, an undergraduate degree. Um, I'm, I'm located here in Treaty 6 territory, homeland of the Métis here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. And I completed a four-year degree in psychology. It was a wonderful experience. You can't do much with a four-year undergrad in psychology. And so I decided to take a, a couple of years away from um, from academics. And I was, you know, working some jobs that I had a, a girlfriend of mine I actually played um, uh, ball with. Uh, and she was saying, Oh, I just got into social work. And I'm really excited. I'm like, Oh, social work. Can we get a job with that after? And she goes, Yeah, there's lots of jobs. It's incredible. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting piece, because then it just sort of took off from there. And I completed my undergraduate degree in social work in 2012. And the very first mental health class that I took, I, I was hooked. I was very interested in relationships and connections and wellness and um, how experiences and stories and trauma shape us, how our environment shapes us. I really connected with uh, the values and ethics of social work in terms of community advocacy and social justice work. Um, and so my career you know, I was really fortunate enough to be able to start out doing uh, counseling and therapy and then outpatient setting in rural Saskatchewan for the first couple of years. And then I went in and out of other clinical positions. Um, I was at the University of Saskatchewan with the Student Wellness Centre for five years. And then last year, um, I opened up my own private practice <gasps> as I'm finishing up my graduate degree in social work. Um, and so that's what I'm going to be doing after this today is, is finishing up my practicum report because that's the last pieces I have. But oh my gosh, social work has congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting. We're all my whole family just ready for me to be done. <laughs> um, but social work has found me in, you know, probably found help pull me through some of the, the most uh, challenging times. Um, and it's provided me with lots and lots of unlearning, um, lots of lenses and perspectives. And um, I'm really, you know, I'm really proud to be a social worker, keeping in mind, you know, our historical roots that social work has, you know, started from, you know, lots of um, colonization um, um, and those pieces too. But I'm proud in, in, in our sector where we're starting to move into um, some different pieces as we decolonize uh, our practices. And yeah, so yeah. I offer um, therapy to um, mostly adults. I've got a, another therapist on staff that um, access or um, supports youth. But yeah, so it's been about a year that I've had my own private practice and um, it's going lovely. It's, wow. it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Yes. I mean, you and I have barely met, but I already feel such pride for you. Like, oh, geez. Just like, that is so gorgeous. And I think um, the work that you, you know, the the thing that really stands out so much, uh, so many things, but um, the unlearning and mm -hmm. that it really stands out so much in work around mental health. And like you were saying, decolonizing social work mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. these practices, because I think so much around decolonization and looking at these practices and making them accessible for all and healing, essentially mm -hmm. healing so much mm -hmm. is unlearning. Yeah, and it really is. Yeah. And I think that 
to be um, brave and, you know, go through everything you've gone through education wise, and I'm sure personally, and step through and have your own practices major. And um, I'm curious, have you over the past year, have you been afraid during these moments? Like how, oh, how have you, yes. how have you taken some of that unlearning and like push through those barriers in your own practice, like in mm-hmm. opening this space? I think, I think fear is, is, is a natural part of doing things that you don't know the outcome to, right. And so opening up your own private practice, really wanting to do things a lot differently than traditional therapy. So really wanting to come at it in that different way. I think two of the things that come to mind that have really helped is my community. And so I have a wonderful community of um, friends slash social workers uh, that have not been afraid to not only support me, but to challenge me in, in, in those ways. And so that's been wonderful and clinical supervision. And so uh, in private practice, that's not really something we often talk about or see, but accessing clinical supervision, be able to um, have that investment has been really pivotal um, for ensuring that, you know, the, the values and, um, you know, the missions of what I want to do in this private practice is still in accordance to who I am as a social worker and and what I ascribe to in in terms of those things. So yeah, Yeah. clinical supervision and community have been two of the backbones um, for moving through some of some really, you know, unknowns, lots of scary, lots of unknowns, but also being able to hold you when things, you know, hold the excitement when things find you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so gorgeous and um, a really important reminder for so many people no matter what kind of practice, obviously having more support in these different ways is so important. So, you know, you've had your own practice, you're well-experienced, you're helping people um, heal and evolve in all of these ways, but assert their boundaries as well. Yeah. So if someone is completely new to what a boundary means, I think we have, you know, I always think of like this visual of Mm -hmm. this line that you're not crossing, but to you, what is a boundary? Sure. I think what I like to, what I like to share here is that I'm a student of boundaries. I believe that I will always be a student of boundaries because I really have come to understand that boundaries ebb and flow with the different seasons that we are in our life. Um, And with that um, coming to understand that boundaries can mean different things things for different people, for different times, for different situations. What you and I are calling boundaries in this space, that's called therapy talk. So we'll probably get into more of that. I don't normally encourage people to use therapy talk outside of the therapy room. And there's, there's lots of reasons for that. But what most people, they think, I don't know what a boundary is, but then when we talk about self-care, when we talk about um, communication tools, uh, communication tools or strategies, wants, needs, what am I okay with? What am I not? People are like, oh, well, that's boundaries. Yes, those are all boundaries. We just don't, in, in these spaces, we would just call them boundaries. Outside of it, people are doing them every single day. We're just referring to them as something different. So where I am right now with boundaries, my definition in this season that I'm in, And it's probably changed over, you know, the course of the couple of years that have really focused on talking about this, particularly in, you know, the Instagram land and social social media is that boundaries are anything that we put in place to intentionally protect our progress. Gorgeous. Okay. 
Boundaries are anything that we put in place to intentionally protect our progress. So when someone is coming to you and they're feeling like, I, I'm boundaryless. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not protecting my progress. My progress is all over the place <laughs> or I'm not making certain types of progress. What, what are some practices that you're immediately starting to put in place or, or things that you're just even like kind of pulling apart and looking at and just like seeing unfold in front of you to better understand someone's needs? What are some of those first initial pieces? The very first thing that I came to mind when you were talking was you can't be boundaryless if you're sitting in a therapy office, initiating a conversation on your own. Oh yeah, definitely. Right. So that curiosity for me is, is spiking this, this sort of alternative story, this alternative piece of going, well, wait a minute, this might be some of the thoughts that are coming in, grabbing a hold of you. But to me, you're sitting in front of me, you initiated this right? You came in, you could have just canceled. You could have no show, you know, people have wasted, you know, we've wasted money worse ways, right? We, people have benefits, right? And so for me, when, when we work in this context or this comes up, I right away go to, but like, this is actually what I'm seeing in front of me. How did you get yourself here? What are some of the steps that you took that you get permissions? Some people will call them to get yourself here. And people just sort of look at you like, what the hell? Like, I've never, you know, I've never been asked that, or I've never really been, you know, you know, we always go into like the problem right away. We go into the problem, but what I see right in front of me is, is we, we, you think that we're coming in boundaryless, but you're coming in that tells me you're not okay Mm -hmm. with what's happening. And you decided to do something about it. That's boundary. I adore that. And I think I just had such a gorgeous visual of someone almost like pulling a thread, like following the thread of those small actions that lead to big decisions. I think about that a lot when it comes to this type of work and when it comes to those actions of sitting down in front of someone and just Mm -hmm. asking for more support. So when someone is trying to establish more boundaries in their life and they have come to you, they're sitting in front of you. What are, what are some things that you, you advise people around as, as some initial steps? Um, say if somebody is trying to just establish more personal time in their life, like mm-hmm. what are some initial things that usually you're facing when someone wants to protect their progress? Mm-hmm. I would say getting to know what that problem is. Um, so if it's relationship with time, if it's relationship with, let's say energy or relationship with any of the things really getting to know and separating my client, let's say from the problems. So how, how is your relationship with time working? You know, what's happening right now? What are you noticing? What are you feeling? How is it showing up? How are you noticing that your relationship with time is starting to be skewed or moving into a position or into a place you're not feeling really good about? So that can usually stir up a lot of things. There's lots of story and there's lots of pathways. And as a narrative therapist, um, I'm not, I'm not a purist, but I, I certainly use a lot of narrative therapy in my work. I'm writing lots of notes and, and things will just sort of, um, if there's any therapist on, uh, listening and, and know, uh, what this feels like, it's like things will just sort of, you know, ignite on the paper as you're starting to take really interesting detailed notes, because these stories have a lot of volume. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, 
there is a lot of um, information in those. And so when, when individuals are coming in, you're asking these really curious stories and you're getting into that, there's things up on the paper. And so sometimes um, I mostly, I, I work with a lot of women, a lot of caretakers, a lot of mothers, a lot of nurturers. And so what will come through is um, lots of pressures to be everything, do everything, have everything, solve everything. Um, and that can really skew our relationship with time. It's hard to factor ourselves in. And so I found through my practice as well is that it's really, it can be really difficult. And there's lots of pressure social media wise and even conversation wise. Just put yourself first, just put yourself first. Well, if it was easy at that, I probably wouldn't have people coming into my therapy space having conversations about this. It's just yeah. not as easy as that. It's not natural, um, you know, for let's say nurturers, mothers, caretakers. Um, it does make sense to have our kids needs for, I mean, that's just sort of the season that we're in depending where these little people are, um, you know, in the lifespan. So what we talk about through a sort of unraveling some of those stories is how we can start to factor ourselves in. What does that factoring look like? It doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to scoot yourself to the top because that might not feel natural. And that extra pressure might feel even more pressurized. And then all of a sudden we're backing off. The overwhelm is becoming overwhelmed and we're just sitting there. Right. So if we just took, take just sort of a, a, a slower approach and just, what does that factoring look like? And they're like, well, what do you mean, Ashley? How did you factor yourself in to get here for an hour? And they look at me and they're like, Oh, I guess I never really thought about that. There's also another conversation of emotional labor it takes to get yourself to a therapy appointment. But yeah. that's something, you know, um, mothers and I will often talk about sort of the coordination that has to go um, in, into, you know, manufacturing these moments. But, mm -hmm. you know, really this idea of what does that factoring look like? How can I factor myself into this equation here? Even a little bit more than maybe what I did yesterday, last week. Mm -hmm. That can be kind of an interesting way. And those are, and, and that all is boundaries. That's all boundary talk, right? Boundaries are just, what can I intentionally put into place to protect my progress? They're there in your therapy room. You know, they're dedicating an hour and then moving and building from that. I don't know if that answered your question. I sort of oh, went on a tangent there. No, <laughs> I could listen to you talk for hours. <laughs> I think what is, is, um, what I'm seeing so much, um, conversation around right now when it comes to women or caretakers in their homes, the people who are, are taking care of many and who are like, we, we know statistics around women in um, the house where women are doing twice as much domestic labor on a daily basis versus men. Women are taking the brunt of domestic labor, unseen labor, unseen emotional labor mm -hmm. um, versus men um, exponentially and and still working full time and still taking on coordinating all the things. And so I think something I often hear when I'm bringing these conversations up on this show or online, talking to people in my personal life is that struggle of factoring yourself in mm -hmm. of feeling mm -hmm. like it uh, this almost like strange guilt coming up mm -hmm. for factoring yourself in and even just having that emerge mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. bloom a bit like even sprouting yeah. that inside of of oneself and i think what you said about 
what I'm noticing is you're really brilliant at having people reflect at what they're already doing in their lives Mm -hmm. and like really pulling upon that thread and helping that grow. Um, So I think what I would love to hear more about is what do you see when people start to factor their themselves in, even in these small ways, like how does that blossom and bloom into more? Mm-hmm. Does it? Well, <laughs> well, and that's when, it, and it sometimes it just starts with um, having somebody point out, well, like I'm hearing, or I'm seeing this already. Tell me about a time when this was happening again. And I was having actually a conversation with somebody last week and we were talking about courage. And I said, well, tell me about a time that courage and you were really buddy, buddy. And they sat there and they sat there and then all of a sudden these story, well, what about this? And what about this, Ashley? And it was like, this is all it, this is all these. And, and it was such a, um, what's the word I'm looking for um, in real time, having, having to see this in real time and pull these in. And so when these moments come through, then that's when we can come in or I come in as somebody who really loves to talk about boundaries. How can we protect that? How can we protect that knowing? What needs to happen for you and that knowing to continue sort of getting to know each other, to connecting, to building a relationship so that outside of this room, you can continue to still do the things that you want to do. Boundary. Do the things that you don't want to do. Boundary. You know, say yes to the things that you want to. Boundary. Say no to the things that you don't want to. Boundary. How can we pull this knowing? How can we pull the things that you've already sort of tried, um, you, you know, failed at? which is also beautiful learning um, that you're curious about how can we pull those pieces in and move them into these areas of, let's say communication with spouses, the children, with in-laws, family members, coworkers, friends, all those things. And that can all lead into um, a conversation that really in this space we call boundaries. Yeah. I it's, it's really sounding like a lot of this work starts with, with ourselves first and foremost, Mm -hmm. and with giving ourselves room to fill up that space, factoring ourselves, ourselves in, and then like protecting our progress. I think a lot of the misconception that I even am having right now around boundaries is that it's always involving other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yes. Yes. It's would you mind reflecting on that a bit more? Yes. (laughs) One of my favorite, most powerful things. I think anytime I share on social media or I'm having conversations that boundaries have nothing to do with guiding the behaviors of others and everything to do with guiding our own behavior. I, I, that's kind of um, revelatory for me right now as we're talking because it makes so much sense. And I completely agree. And I've put that in place in my own life, but I've never thought of it Mm -hmm. in that way because you're, all of us are often taught boundaries are for others to respect us, Mm -hmm. but it's really for the, the most respect for ourselves. That's right. That's right. Really blowing my mind here. Um, so one of the examples that I use, and even just in my therapy space, when people are like, this is the, this is the most wild thing I've ever heard. Like this can't be true. What are you talking about? Right. So we're really unlearning, right. We're really inviting that space in. So one of my very, very simple, simple um, examples is let's say relationship of time when you're working. So 
a rule or a, or a request outside of us, sometimes we get tripped up thinking that's boundaries. It's not. It's a rule or request in somebody else's behavior. The reason why it doesn't work a lot of the times, and I'm going to get back to how sometimes it can, um, is that because we're putting all that power in somebody else's hands. And it's not that they're going to be malicious about it. They're all also just human. So they might forget their might, life might be busy things, you know, might happen, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so an example I go is if you're wanting to increase your relationship with time, let's say with working and answering emails and such a rule of request on somebody else would be Christina, don't call me before 9am. Don't email me. Don't text me. Don't do anything before 9am because I want to be present with my kid before I you know, drop them off at school. Don't email me. Well, you come in and let's say you've had a busy day or you happen to forget and you send this email and then all of a sudden I'm like, how dare you send me this email? You don't respect me. And then resentment comes in, all these things, right? So rules or requests on somebody else rarely work. So how we can turn actually boundaries on guiding our own behavior, because if boundaries aren't about guiding your behavior, they're about guiding mine. How we can turn that in is just so that you know, from Monday to Thursday, I won't be answering any emails, text messages, phone calls before 9 a.m. So what I'm not saying is you can do whatever you want. You can email me a thousand times. You could call me 65 times before 9 a.m. I'm not going to answer that. So rules and requests are outside. Boundaries are about guiding our own behavior. There is sort of one caveat to this that I'd like to share too, is that when we are exploring a new relationship with boundaries for the first time, we're sort of getting a bit curious about it. It's, it's, it can be intimidating a little bit, you know, fear could be a little bit there kind of in our ear rules or requests can be sort of helpful depending on the relationship. So maybe with like a spouse or a close family member, we're like, Hey, you know, that topic of commenting on my food or how much I'm eating is really uncomfortable. I really need you to stop. Or you, you, that can be sort of, um, an introductory way to talk about boundaries or even just express it and get sort of used to expressing it. Um, eventually, you know, hopefully that evolution would come in if that would ever to be needed and, and that individual would come in and guide their own behavior, depending on what that would look like. Um, but for really the most part, and if they're going to take away, if you're going to take away anything from today, from the folks that are listening is that boundaries are about guiding our own behavior. They just cannot be about guiding anybody else's. Absolutely. And I think what is really coming, like really just shining through is you can't control anyone else but yourself. And that goes for for boundaries. Um, And I think that something I heard a while ago that I've always had in relation to boundaries that I would love to chat with you about is if a boundary makes someone uncomfortable, you know, it's working. Mm. Um, or if someone is upset or like, or if they're, they're having a bit of discomfort around a boundary, you know, it's working. And I don't want to say like, that's the case for everything, but I would love to hear, you know, we've talked about a lot of the internal work around boundaries. What I found is Sometimes when I am establishing a boundary or somebody else in, that I know is establishing a boundary, that is, you know, them saying in the language that you've described, I won't be available during this time. Or, um, you know, I've had somebody say um, to somebody else, please do not discuss this. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and 
when it's not, when other people are uncomfortable or expressing discomfort or not respecting a boundary, I want to pause, move the not respecting a boundary away. But if, if other people are uncomfortable with that, is the boundary working? Is that true? (laughs) Well, I think it's an interesting space to be in because I think also what you, what you described and so oftentimes what we don't, what we don't talk about is that if our boundaries about guiding our own behavior, naturally there's going to be probably some waves out there, right. For the people around us. And I think what we forget sometimes is that they're also human and that they're really entitled to having some thoughts and feelings about what this new space looks like, right? It's really okay for them to have the feelings that they're feeling. Of course, it's probably not okay to come through and let's say, you know, um, come at it in a very unkind, you know, sort of letting um, resentment or anger, you know, kind of lead the way in in that. Um, But I think what we often forget is that people are human too. And it's not easy to see somebody moving and shaping themselves in the form of a boundary right it, 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 it it's it and I read something yesterday and I shared it on my stories um was that like when people aren't supportive I'm gonna use I don't use air quotes very often but like aren't supportive or they're not they're in discomfort with with change it just means that this old version of you isn't there anymore and this person is is learning to mm. shape shift around that. There's probably some grief mm. and loss, you know, mad oftentimes will be a shield for sad. So there's feelings associated, right? Um, with that, it's not our job to convince, to hold, to um, defend, or to, um, you know, emotionally sort of um, manage that. But we can, we can validate that, you know, like, I hear that would be really hard, you know, if I'm not, you know, answering emails before 9am. Like I really see that would be really hard. Yeah. I I do understand that. I gave this a lot of thought and I'm still going to do it or something like that. Right. Like we can offer that validation, but I'm not in charge of making it better for you. Right. When we're working with sort of these boundaries, but oftentimes what I think we, because boundaries have been equated now you're getting me excited. My, my hands are going because boundaries are just like, you know, boundaries are terrible and they're confrontational and they're all about like getting mean and toxic people out of our lives. But like, sure, in but that's only like one one piece of the pie or one you know branch here. You know, boundaries can have nothing to do with anybody around you, and more so about ourselves. Doesn't mean that we have to. Um, we can't understand that people are human, and that they're probably just you know having an adjustment period. Like, yeah, why couldn't they have an adjustment period, right? Well, yeah, and I think what is what has been historically challenging for me and I think might come up in, in these conversations is, you know, the, the need to people, please the need to affirm others and affirm Mm -hmm. their worry and concern or their emotional reaction. And Mm -hmm. you've established a boundary. Someone has a reaction. Oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. You know, like I think that can be really hard. Um, It's a lot of work to be, protecting your progress you know it's a lot of work oh, to for sure think like okay if I establish this I know that this is going to be really hard and it could be something as you know so simple as you were saying I'm unavailable mm-hmm. but it might not be so simple if someone reacts or responds in a way that makes you feel that tinge of I want people to like me I yeah. want to feel loved yeah. I want to feel accepted mm-hmm. and 
personally, I've had some mm-hmm. experience and, and issues with going, maybe going back on a boundary when I shouldn't have, or, or, um, not protecting my progress enough when mm-hmm. that comes up for people in this work. And like you're saying, you know, we know this is therapy talk when we're having these discussions, but in real life, it it really is not like I'm establishing a boundary with you. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm please don't use that language. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, like, like, I'm curious, you know, how have you helped others push through that moment of mm-hmm. conflict or, yeah. or like ride the wave, you know, how, how yeah. has that come up and how have you helped? Well, I think from the lenses that I practice through in terms of like narrative therapy and really bringing in lots of like systems talk, you know, lots of, um, you know, conversations around, um, you know, like at like lots of oppressive type of systems coming in and all of these sort of social conditions and messagings too. I really like to bring sort of um, a bigger picture to the story because I never believe that people are the problem ever in my, I never believe that we're in a situation there's lots of factors that contribute so something like people pleasing let's say right when we say you know I'm not going to answer before 9 a.m and then all of a sudden we're like but I really need this and all this stuff comes in it's like somebody's mad not really you know that adjustment period it's a bit spicy you're not really sure where to sit with that and then we want to just go back on it or we want to try to convince um, I really there's lots of story inside of that people pleasing right and you know for those that are you know, grew up um, being socialized as a, like women, right? Like we are told from the time that we are born, you yeah. know, with intentional and non-intentional messages from the people around us and the information that our worth is held in the hands of others. Our worth is dictated by how much we give to say yes to others and say no to ourselves. Um, you know, those pieces can really come in in lots of different messagings as well. It can also be amplified when something like, um, you know, trauma has entered the the space too. Um, I think sometimes we don't, we forget easily as adults, how people pleasing may not be serving you in this time, in this space anymore, but at one time, it probably actually entered, knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm actually here to help protect you, to help protect your siblings, yeah. to help protect a parent. Lots of stories coming into the space about that, right? And so it's almost about like reconciling um, with with people pleasing as somebody that's like sitting next to you and like, I know why you're, you were here. I know why you showed up. I get it, but like you can rest now. And so we talk about that as if we're in relationship with people pleasing in my office. I will have clients like me, the client and people pleasing will be there and we will talk at the people pleasing and we will give it reassurance and we will say, you did your job. And we will talk about story, so much story. Lots of emotion tends to come up in that time. And then we recognize, okay, those pillars that people pleasing came in, they fit back then, but they're just not fitting in now. They're just not being able to protect my progress the way that I want to do. They're not being able to protect my relationship with time now that I have family, now that I have kids and all of the things I'm trying to do. Right. And so it's almost in that space, in this example, like giving that people pleasing permission to just rest, to say, you can, you can rest, you've done your job. Right. It's like that, almost like that reconciling process Mm -hmm. um, in that way. Yeah. I've done a lot of inner child work and Mm -hmm. that's so, um, reminiscent of 
you know, talking to little Christina and knowing she's protected and okay. And, um, but I haven't done that with people pleasing or, you know, fear of conflict. And I think it's such a beautiful practice and such a wonderful reminder to sit with that and honor it and also Mm -hmm. acknowledge those systems, like you were saying. And, um, we are in a patriarchy. We are surrounded yes. in white supremacy culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to recognize how mm-hmm. our culture uplifts those moments of discomfort and yes. like shines a light on them and says, this is what, this is how you're worthy when that's just not the case. And I really love that you acknowledge that in your work, like mm-hmm. not just an individual's story, but the systems that mm-hmm. uphold our our thoughts and beliefs, yeah. because that can go so, so unrecognized or just unseen. Um, and I'm I'm curious, you know, when it comes to those moments of um, working with women in particular, because I know you mentioned that quite a bit. What are some of the the major pieces around um, conflict or people pleasing that? you you would like to see no longer exist like what are, what are some things that you you just want women to know about their worth and their value when it comes to protecting their progress oh you know and i don't know if this actually 100 percent answers your question but the first thing that comes to mind if i could just wave my little therapist wand would be to to encourage people to stop hustling for niceness and instead turn into kindness. There's a lots of dismantling of this ideas of niceness versus kindness in my therapy space. It often comes in. And so niceness, I think, and niceness and people pleasing really can work well together. They like you. They're They're best friends. Nice. Right. And then people like, yes. And they just check all these things off. And then all of a sudden we're, we're doing all the things we're saying yes to all the things. Resentment is there, you know, all those pieces. Whereas when we're talking about kindness, kindness, like even just when you say kindness, people naturally just go in this inward sort of like the somatic sort of piece, like get pulled in. Kindness is all about connecting, aligning with your innermost truth, your knowing, your values, your personal code of ethics, your morals, right? And I think that is able to, when we are in touch with that a little more, when we can recognize, you know, what the difference between nice and kind is we can actually move through boundaries in a really different way what, because I mean, kindness yeah. and boundaries work together really beautifully. Mm-hmm. I think do. that they're actually ingredients together. I never oh. thought about it like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I never thought about it, how like they actually work really well together. And whereas niceness and people pleasing on the outside would actually work quite well um, to uphold, you know, these very, patriarchal capitalistic structures mm-hmm. that we find are these very, you know, like you said, but like white supremacist structures, all of these structures that are in for, for very, very specific reasons, intricate yeah. reasons. Right. But yes, boundaries and kindness work really well together. And if we can start to mold that relationship, if we can start to almost think about it as a friend, as a new connection and getting to know it and massaging it and, and inviting it in, I think there's some really interesting movement that can happen for an individual. I agree because being kind to yourself is something that's often seen as selfish. Yes. It's often yeah. seen as, I mean, I remember growing up and 
looking at people around me who held firmly for themselves, Mm -hmm. who said, no, I don't want to partake in that. I'm busy during this time. I can't take on more work. Okay. Okay. And thinking that's it because I didn't have the, the unlearning experience yet Mm -hmm. that I'm, I think all of us are continuing to be in, (laughs) but I would think that's selfish or that person is selfish now I see that completely differently mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that person is so kind to themselves yeah. and is establishing kindness. And nobody ever said anything like that to me in a way that was malicious or mm-hmm. unkind. Mm-hmm. It was just very, this is, this is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. The end. So, you know, as we've been talking before our call, I mentioned I have a toddler and a lot of this sounds like parenting. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, um, it really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. A lot of this sounds like all of the things that I've, you know, been watching, reading, dissecting, trying to be the best parent, trying to understand, okay, how can I, how can I bring a kind individual into this world and, and have them, you know, fight these systems and all this. And it's so Mm -hmm. wild that all of this research I do and all of these things, I know so many other women do are practices that we need (laughs) that we need to pour into ourselves. When you're looking at your practice, when you're looking at these lessons and, and these boundaries, um, what do you hope comes out of your sessions when people are pouring these practices into themselves, like yeah. reparenting really themselves? I I think my own personal mission is getting people, hopefully reminding people that the power of their yes comes from their ability to say no. Because what good is our yes if we're unable to ever say no? Our yes means nothing then. If we're always saying yes, if we're always saying yes to everything out of, let's say the fear is convincing us, the people pleasing is coming in and washing all over us, right? Our yes means nothing. And so if we can start to think about what that yes is, what are the, what's the context? What's the feeling? What's the, the shape, the mold of my yes? How can I make my yes exclusive? We first have to understand what we want to say no to. And then that means when that space of yes, for instance, I have had a few podcast requests. My old, I always say I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm a chronic yes person. And if if any of my friends are listening, they're probably like, yes, 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 Ashley, this is all you. Um, And so after I had to take a a burnout leave in about, I mean, who didn't in like 2021, right? Like what a wild time of life. Um, I really started to re I'm like, makes, I had to make some changes. Um, And I, move into this if you can make your yes exclusive if you can start to say yes to things so this for instance these pot when you came in I just knew this was a yes for me right away it was a yes and I'm starting to filter through when other things are coming through and saying saying no Mm -hmm. and that makes my yeses Christina for me that much more exciting it makes my yeses that much more uplifting it meets makes them that much more connected to myself, to my truth, to what I'm trying to do. And it just means more. I think there's the energy is different, right? Yeah. So 
what good is our yes if we're never able to say no? And that can be some of the hardest work because our relationship with no um, can be a contentious one. It can be a pain-filled one. But if we can find support, either formally through somebody like myself or informally with with lots of other supports, um, I think there's some really interesting movement that an individual can help Mm -hmm. um, move themselves into a space that's feeling good and safe for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank you for sharing that about your own journey and the way that you've navigated that, because I think so many people can relate. And it's also giving me this image of just like stepping into the biggest version of yourself, Mm -hmm. like stepping into this space where you're filling up space instead of shrinking. Um, And it's so interesting that saying no will allow you to fill that space. Yeah. Um, It's almost like the boy who cried wolf kind of Mm. where you're saying yes, yes, yes. And, you know, diminishing the value, like you were saying of your word, because I am very similar in that I will say yes to a lot of things, but then I can't really back it up because I've overwhelmed myself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot yeah. of people yep. go through that. <laughs> and then I feel awful because I have the intention yes. of follow through, the intention of being the best version of me, the intention of being that shining star, when in fact, I would probably be more of that version filling up all of that space if I said no more often and just sat in that moment of discomfort while I was kind to myself. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, so much of the work that you're doing is not only so important, but it's necessary around these systems that we're unlearning. I, our time together has flown by and I'm so grateful um, to be in conversation with you. And I'm, you know, wondering as you're moving forward throughout your practice and as you're looking into the future, what do you hope can really bloom in your own practice as you're evolving? Cause you've definitely been doing a lot and saying yes to a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think maybe I'll just end it. Like we started it It is always being a student of boundaries, always being willing to understand that boundaries are here. um, For me, at least uh, to teach me and remind me about what's important um, to uncover pieces of learn pieces of things that, that I need to unlearn that I need that I've gotten wrong that I need to focus in on. I think boundaries have really helped me move into those spaces. I think boundaries for me will, as long as boundaries and I can have a close connected relationship, it will always keep me accountable. It will always remind me that failing is okay. Um, And then that through some of the very committed parts of myself and my practice of being, you know, very mindfully supervised, you know, very anti-racist, anti-oppressive practices, really moving into, um, uh, more conversations around intersectionality and all of these pieces and bringing that into our practice. I think with boundaries and me together, I think we're going to be able to move through that, not perfectly, but, but in a way I think that's going to benefit 
myself, anybody else that I have the privilege of, of working alongside. And of course, the people that trust us come in and to share their stories with us, because that's what it's about. It's not about us at all. Um, but we can control what that environment looks like and how we respond and how we hold these stories. And I really think that boundaries and I have been able to do that. And I'm excited at if this is what boundaries and I have done thus far, what's next year going to look like? What's five years going to look yeah. like? Um, through that process. I mean, I'm excited as well. I think it's really just so wonderful that you hold so much space for others and that you are also practicing holding space for yourself and understanding your needs because I, that I think, you know, that can be really challenging in places mm-hmm. and professions where you do those things. And so I think it's wonderful that you're aware all the things when it comes to your needs and others. And I just, um, I'm so grateful for this conversation, for your insight, for the work that you do. And thank you for teaching me and blowing my mind today on boundaries. And I'm sure our listeners as well. I think that it has just been so wonderful to, to learn more about, you know, protecting our progress, being kind to ourselves and seeing how those go really hand in hand. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much for your time today, Ashley. Thank you for opening up space. I think there's, there's, yeah, there's such a a deep sense of gratitude for trusting me with your community. And I'm very glad that I said said yes. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, you know, as, as we close up this episode, I always say, never forget that your story matters and your voice matters Mm -hmm. um, to my listeners, which reigns true so, so deeply during this episode. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this, um, and I will see you next time on the Amplify Her podcast. Bye everyone. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.